It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The NBA Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Cold weather is here. Your home's heating system ready? Lee's Heating and Air is now offering their winter furnace checkup for only $59. Call Lee's Heating and Air today at 801-747-LEES or online at leesheatingac.com. As the intro said, Howard Beck joins us now. And uh, Howard, David James sitting in for the vacationing Jake Scott as we speak. But uh, how the heck are you, Howard? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're doing uh, – DJ, how you doing? I'm above average. Above average. I'm above average. It's Friday afternoon. I'm above average. Howard, we watched a game last night, uh, Jazz against the Pelicans. It was a heck of an entertaining game. There was some controversy with it and whatnot. But uh, uh, the Jazz have been really playing well, as we've talked to you through the weeks. You're aware of that. But I I think that Pelicans team might might have a foundation for something good moving forward. You know, uh I think they do. I thought they did when the season began. I thought they did even after Zion went down. And I still think they do now, even though the standings suggest that they're a team that's struggling. They're 16 and 26. Obviously, all that's without Zion. I think overlooked in Zion's absence is that they've also had injury issues to several other guys, primarily and most importantly, Drew Holiday, who has been out a lot. Um, and is really critically important to them. And he's also important because his name has been floated, and it's baffling to me, his name has been floated in recent weeks as this is a guy to keep your eye on as trade as the, the trade deadline approaches because, you know, the Pelicans aren't going anywhere right now. they got a young team, and Drew Holiday could be really valuable, and, and here's some teams that could really benefit from him, all of which sounds kind of logical, and especially from the perspective of, teams around the league that could really use a, a great two-way point guard like Drew Holiday. But I think, and I was running this by some people in the last couple of days around the league, and, and they tend to agree, David Griffin, the Pelicans GM, has no urgency to make a move like that. What they have, and why I was uh, high on the Pelicans, maybe too, too much so, before the season began, is that they've got this really interesting mix of young guys, like Brandon Ingram, who you guys saw light up the Jazz last night, and it's not just them. Ingram's been, been killing teams left and right the last couple of months. He's been fantastic. And they got him. They've got Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart, the three guys they got from the Lakers in the eight, Anthony Davis deal. They got Zion coming back next week. And then they got these veterans, Drew Holiday, who was a holdover, Derek Favors, you guys know well, J.J. Redick. I thought it was a really, really nice blend of young talent that's ready to blossom and veterans who were capable and, and very uh, well-positioned to help mentor those guys. And I still think that's the best formula for them. And considering that Zion's been out the last couple of months and has yet to play a regular season minute, and considering that Ingram is, is blossoming, like, I don't think there's urgency to do anything with that roster. I, like, I'd have to be blown away if I'm David Griffin to trade Drew Holiday. You know, I, I want to see... I want to see the entire roster healthy. I want to see Drew Holiday healthy and Zion out there and Ingram with all the confidence that he's acquired in the last couple of months doing what he's doing. That's the team I want to see. And given that the West 
is in, it's this rare year where you might make the playoffs as an eight seed with a losing record. The Pelicans can still actually make a run at that that eighth spot. It's not out of the question. They're like four games out, maybe three and a half games out. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. So the Jazz had a 10-game win streak. They've won 14 out of 16, but it's largely been against sub-500 teams. There was a win in there against the Clippers, and the Clippers were. They did have their two big guys playing, so, you know, Paul George was there and Kawhi Leonard was there. That's the marquee win in this stretch. But between now and the All-Star break, they go home and home with Denver, home and home with Houston, home and home with Dallas. They haven't seen these teams yet. They also play Miami and Indiana, and they lost to both of them on the road, but now they get them at home where the Jazz have the best home record in the West. How are the Jazz going to perform over those eight games? I won't predict. Um, obviously, the Jazz are in a, a much better rhythm right now. But a couple things. As you point out, it's fair to note the schedule has been soft during the, this, this winning trend. And not, you know, not just the 10 in a row, but whatever, 50 out of 16, whatever it was. Um, they've been great. But, yeah, uh, beating up on a lot of losing teams. Now, as I always say, Part of being a good team is consistently beating the bad teams, and you can't control that part of the schedule, and you can't, you know, all, all you can do is beat the teams that are in front of you, as, as the cliche goes. And to be a good team, you have to consistently beat those guys. But, yes, we're, we're, the, the Jazz's baseline is not can you beat up on the bad teams. Their baseline is are you a contender. Can you, can you can deal with the, the Denvers and the Lakers and Clippers and Bucks, Sixers, you know, all, all the, that group at, at the top level. So these next couple of weeks heading into the All-Star break, there will be some stiffer tests. We'll see how they do. Somewhere along the way, probably soon, we're going to see Mike Conley back. And that's actually the more important test for the Jazz, is how to integrate Mike Conley now that they've got this really great rhythm going with Donovan Mitchell being a primary ball handler and the engine of that offense, and Joe Ingles back in a, a nice rhythm, Everybody's roles are, are pretty well defined right now, and but you got to accommodate Mike Conley. The, the guy's a you know a, a great point guard, and your marquee acquisition of the off season, and a, a guy who still should be really important to to their ability to make a deep playoff run. But you know when when things are going well, you don't want to necessarily mess with the formula. So they, that's that's Quinn Snyder's challenge right now is, is figure out how to do that in a way that doesn't diminish what Joe Ingles has done uh, having, you know, come back to the starting lineup. It doesn't diminish what Donovan Mitchell's doing as a guy who's, who's you know, been there, their, you know, their everything at, at, on the offense, playmaker and, and ball handler and scorer. Howard, uh, I've never seen Rudy Gobert play better. I mean, he missed a foul shot last night that could have won the game for the Jazz, but uh, you're fully aware of what he's doing this year. You mentioned Donovan Mitchell there, 46 points last night. He was spectacular in that game. Uh, and I'm not really into individual accolades, but people here want to know, can both of these guys end up on the All-Star team? I think they both can. I'm not sure if they both will. I do think that this recent winning streak uh, or, or uh, just winning trend, you know, uh, 15 out of 17, like again, whatever that is, I think it's 15 out of 17, I think helps them a lot because, look, you, you can't control the fan vote. Neither of them are getting in on, on, on uh, the fan vote, and I don't think the player-slash-media vote, which is the other 50%, is going to get those guys in. So the key for both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert is what are the coaches going to do when they vote on the reserves? And it's the, it's the coaches who have been blocking them this whole time, essentially, anyway. You know, fans vote for the most popular guys. Um, 
and there's all kinds of reasons why they haven't been voted in on on the, the the starter side of it. The reserves is the key. That's the coaches. And when the coaches look up at the standings, and they see the Jazz, you know, hovering in that top four somewhere, you know, maybe they get back to two again. It makes an impression. It's 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 important. You know, I mean, I listen. I think I ranted on your show last week. I ranted on Zach Lowe's podcast a couple weeks ago about the fact that coaches are completely uh, inconsistent or hypocritical about this. They all say they want guys who play defense. They want guys who win. And then they don't vote in Rudy Gobert, who plays defense and wins and anchors one of the top defenses year in, year out. So we'll see. But I, I do think that they pay attention to the standings. And I do think that it's harder to ignore the Jazz or not ignore is too strong a word, overlook their two stars uh, if they're high in the standings. And so we'll see. We'll see if this is the breakthrough year. We'll see which way it breaks if they, if they only go for one of them. And that's the other thing, too. It, it's, you know, we all go through this exercise, right? Oh, well, is this, is this team deserving of two, star, two, two all-stars or three all-stars? And if a team is, you know, in the top four in their conference, it, it's always a lot easier to justify, you know, Chris Middleton along with Giannis, you know, or, uh, you know, Bam Adebayo along with Jimmy Butler. You know, if you're, if you're lower in the standings, it's harder to justify a second all-star from a team. So I, it's going to be interesting to see if, if coaches – try to, to shoehorn them both in there because there is a lot of competition. It is, it is a tough exercise. So you've talked about, you know, legitimate contenders. Can the Jazz compete with the Nuggets and the Clippers and the Lakers? If you look at the standings, the Lakers have separation. Who's built to beat the Lakers? Or are we just going to be watching playoffs and at the end the Lakers are going to come out of the West? No, I, I still think it's Lakers and Clippers. Uh, you know, and that's not to say that the Nuggets or the Jazz, maybe even the Rockets, you know, could um, could throttle them at some point or, or you know catch them at the right time. Who knows? I, I think on paper the team that is is the best built to challenge the Lakers or stop the Lakers is the Clippers, and they they've been you know they were my preseason favorite. They were a lot of folks' preseason favorites, and not by a lot over the Lakers, but the Clippers because. They have this incredible uh, perimeter D uh, anchored by Kawhi and Paul George and Patrick Beverly. That's hard to match. The fact that they've got Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell as this this fantastic one-two punch coming off the bench. I think the Clippers, as I've said many times, just have the better overall balance and depth, in part because they have a Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. The Lakers don't have the equivalent of those kinds of guys. And a lot is is on LeBron and, and Anthony Davis's shoulders. Now their their depth is fine. Like they have a bunch of guys who contribute in a variety of ways, from you know the Avery Bradley and Rajon Rondo types to Dwight Howard and, and JaVale McGee. Like they've all they, they've done a nice job of of squeezing you know the most out of all these guys. But there's you know on, on, if, if Anthony Davis is not functioning in, in some way, if he's limited, if he's hurt, if he's out, if LeBron is limited, if he's hurt, if he's out, that's where it it becomes a big problem for the Lakers because they don't have anybody else who can really fill it up or, or make a major impact on their own. They've got a lot of really good role players. The Clippers actually have some other guys who can, who can carry with specifically the Williams. So um, I, uh, I've, I'm still, you know, same as I felt all along. I think we're heading toward an inevitable clash of the Titans in LA, whatever round that comes in, um, we will see. But I, I do think that whoever wins that, uh, expected series 
I think, is the team that is going to be coming out of the West and, and maybe the champion. So those two teams uh, battle each other, but there's other stories in the West, whoever ends up at the top. They're very interesting. One of them, obviously, Luka Doncic. Are you as high on him, Howard, as, uh, as it seems that a lot of folks are? It's impossible not to be, Gordon. I mean, um, even last season, you know, his rookie year, you could see it. You could see he was special. You could see he had this advanced feel for the game. <clears throat> Excuse me, and this amazing ability to kind of manipulate the game. He's not like you know, uh, explosive, but he is athletic, and he does know how to manipulate a defense just with his pacing and his his change of pace. Obviously, a very good shooter, and he's been a great clutch shooter, an incredible playmaker, and he just, you know, he took another leap this season, and he has been in that MVP conversation since November, and while he won't win it because the Mavericks don't have that kind of team, they're they're not going to be, you know, uh, you know, top in the, you know, top team in the West, but they're going to be a playoff team, and he's, you know, you're, you know, ninety percent of the reason. Um, He's going to make some MVP ballots, you know, lower down. And he's going to, you know, obviously he's going to be a starter in the All-Star game for the first time as a 20-year-old, you know, second-year player. And he's doing things that no 20-year-old has ever done. So uh, it's, it's impossible not to be blown away by what Luka Doncic has, has done and, and to, you know, just be excited about what he could still become in this league. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of years and a lot of development left, and, um, he's he's already incredible. The Thunder got off to a dreadful, I think it was six and eleven start, and have been much better since then. Have they really found something? Did they do a much better job with that Paul George trade than any of us suspected? And could they actually win a playoff series? Well, Shea Gilgis Alexander, the Clippers were incredibly high on from the moment they drafted him. Um, Last year, uh, excuse me, two years ago now. Two, you know, it was you know, last season was a rookie year, obviously. So two Junes ago, they they loved him. Um, just his his, uh, his his character, his mental makeup, obviously his skills, and it was just a matter of time. And you saw plenty of flashes from Shea during his rookie year. So it, it's not that surprising, but that's part of the leap that the Thunder have made in turning this around. Is is his play, and you've got Chris Paul, a Hall of Fame point guard, next to him as as a mentor and, and backcourt partner, and then uh, Dennis Schroeder has done a phenomenal job, and they're they're, they're playing three point guard uh, lineups or three guard lineups a lot, and they've just found a way to kind of you know make up for what they lost the last couple of years, and in, in, in most especially in, in trading Paul George and Russell Westbrook. I mean. They may win as many games this season as they did last year with Westbrook and Paul George. That would be an incredible achievement. And so, yeah, look, we all got it. You know, everybody praised Sam Presti for what a great deal he made for Paul George in terms of just the haul of picks he got. But Shea Gildas-Alexander was always uh, the the uh, jewel of that deal. And even getting Danilo Gallinari, you know, he was, you know, it's his last year of his deal. He could walk as a free agent, but he's a really, really good player. And so when you looked at their, their starting lineup, I thought, I thought they'd be hovering around the playoffs, you know, before the season started. And then, you know, then I thought, okay, all right, maybe, maybe I overestimated them. And maybe, I, you know, as it turns out, maybe I properly estimated them. They're, they've got just enough talent there. They're not real, real deep. The bench isn't great, but, Chris Paul, plus Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, uh, Dennis Schroeder is, is not bad. 
and this is a year we're in the West where it's a little more forgiving. So, Howard, the uh, last question from me is is this. You talked about Doncic, and I think a lot of people are excited by the way he plays. What other young player excites you the most as you analyze the league right now? Because there are some pretty good uh, youngins out there. There are a lot. Um, it's it's hard to, to go any one particular direction. I mean, I, the, the, guy, the two who come to mind right off the bat, uh, are both young point guards who are just incredibly flashy and are just both happen to be in the West. That's De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento and obviously John Morant in Memphis, who's just become a nightly highlight reel himself. And they they both, you know, in De'Aaron Fox's case, he saw some flashes early on. He's in year three now, but he's really starting to settle in nicely. But he's he's got incredible speed and he's crafty with the ball and uh, and. and Hyper athletic, and John Morant is is just incredibly athletic, and is playing like a guy in terms of his confidence and his decision making, who looks like he's already been in the league for five years and, and not you know three months. So you know Morant is the runaway rookie of the year right now. I don't think that's likely to change, um, and he's just just a blast to watch. So I would I would zero in on on those two guys at the moment. All right, there you hear it from uh, from Howard Beck, our smartest guest of the week, DJ. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you got a pretty high IQ group too. So uh, yeah, we that's do. That's a major compliment right there. <laughs> Howard, we I, I don't know. I think that's a pretty low bar with this group, frankly. But but you know, thanks. It's it's uh, it's, it's it's not nothing. You know, I'll put it in my, in my Twitter bio. We'll pass, we'll pass that along to Sam and Chris and some of the others. Uh, we, we we appreciate it, Howard. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, fellas. All right, Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. DJ, uh, react to what he said. Yeah, uh, what you know, he was saying I, about Morant—that that kid is fun to watch. He is. He's he's uh, walking highlight film. There's no doubt about that. I think what he said about the uh, All Stars. I, I agree with most of what he said. I I think they're both going to make it. I think there's going to be two Lakers. I think there's going to be two Clippers. I think there's going to be two Rockets and two Jazz guys. I think Denver's going to get one guy, especially now that the guy who is most likely to be the second guy has wrecked his ankle and is out indefinitely for the foreseeable future. So, But the Joker will get in, so that'll be nine. Um, Doncic will get in, that'll be ten. And that leaves two. Maybe it's Chris Paul, maybe it's Carl Anthony Towns. Maybe it's Brandon Ingram. My guess is that Brandon Ingram's going to find what the Jazz guys found. Your record's not good enough, and it's going to X him out. Carl Anthony Towns might find the same thing, although he's gotten in before with, on teams with bad records because his individual offensive numbers are so big. Well, I, I hope they both get in for different reasons. First of all, Donovan Mitchell is so fun to watch, and you know, in a setting like an all-star game where you know, defense is a rumor, Usually, I mean, can you imagine what he might be able to do in that setting? That would be a lot of fun to watch. And if Gobert gets in, what is he going to do? Yeah, I don't know. Is it, I, I mean, it's almost like there's peer pressure not to play any defense. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, he could dunk if someone wants to pass him the ball. But yeah, I mean, so it, there's some alley-oops during the game, so I can yeah. see him getting a couple alley-oops. But wouldn't it be fun to see someone out there showboating around and <laughs> The long arm of the law swoops in and blocks a shot. When was the last time you saw that happen in an all-star game? Yeah, that's not really. you know. But see, the other thing is that the season's so long and it's so much energy that really I think, and it's tough when it's your first all-star game, but you know, late in his career, Carl Malone wanted to go, 
and I can't prove this happened, but I really believe it did. You want to go because you don't want to be told you're a washed-up has-been and you're not an all-star anymore, right? right? You want to go, but as soon as you get there, you're like, Coach. What am I doing here? No, no, no. No, it's like, Coach, I don't want a zero in the score line next to me. But as soon as I get a bucket, if you want to take me out and get someone else some minutes, I'm good. I don't need – you know, whether you run around for two or 22 minutes, nobody remembers. Yeah, they're more there for just to associate and be honored. There, there's that, and I think also at the end of your career, people look back, were you a five-time All-Star or yeah. were you a ten-time All-Star? If you're yeah. a 15-time All-Star, holy – you know. So I think that you want to rack up the All-Star appearances. But within an All-Star game, does anyone really care if you score two points or 12 or 22? I mean, if you score 42, people are like, oh, he scored 42 in an All-Star game. I get that. But, yeah, I'm like, it's just a long season, dude. <laughs> you can give the, put the lineups on the legs of somebody who really, you know, isn't going to be in the playoffs anyway. Well, there is the idea that uh, for uh, it's important for these jazz players to get into the all-star game to uh, be attractive for other free agents and whatnot. And I suppose that still lingers. And to keep their own because Gordon Hayward, one of the reasons yeah. he left yeah. is you can't get individual accolades right. here. That being one. Now, you can because Rudy's gotten defensive player of the year twice. Yeah. But if these guys can get you know get an all star game and then it becomes a routine thing, but I really think they've helped themselves by winning. Yeah. Here's the other thing we didn't I, mention. I think that's huge. There's three or four bids that in most years were going to the Warriors. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That are available this year. <laughs> Good point. So how about jumping in the pool right now? And, and that's a short window that's going to close pretty quick. Well, by by we'll next see. year, yeah. If they yeah. have one, two, or three, none of that will surprise you. All right, DJ and I, the big show. We're down here at the warehouse in Orem. Stay right where you are.